Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Moneymaker, the podcast that gives you the tools to enrich your life in every sense of the word. I'm your host, Nelly Galan. Let's get started. Jean Chatsky, I am so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. I can't believe we met at a women's event. We did. And we connected, and I am such a fan of yours. And right back at you. And so to be here together, I mean, I can't tell you how much I've learned from you. You started in this field way before me. I was on another path. And I want to hear how you got here. What's your story? I mean, the interesting thing is your path, your other path was my father's path and my upbringing, which I don't think you know I don't about know me. That. So I grew up in the Midwest. My my parents were teachers. My dad was a college professor. My mother taught everything from second grade to college statistics. She kept reinventing herself. And we moved around a lot because my dad taught communications at the university level. And when I was entering high school, he got an offer from a television station to run it. No. A group of television stations that he'd been doing consulting work for, because when you're a professor, you have a side hustle. And they hired him to run a TV station in Wheeling, West Virginia. He went on to run stations in West Virginia, Illinois, worked for the NAB in Washington. So I was a bit of a nomad growing up. And I decided when I got to college and started working for the school newspaper that I really wanted to be a journalist. I, I liked reporting. I liked asking questions, I liked getting answers, and when I graduated from college, I got a job at a magazine called Working Woman that doesn't, oh, yeah. yeah, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was a really interesting sort of combination of a magazine. It had fashion, it had food, but it also had finance and careers, and the job that was open, the job that I got, was as the assistant to the business editor, and I learned very quickly I liked writing business stories. I liked that numbers could have a role in a story. I was an English major in college, but I was always a math kid in high school, so for me, I decided I was going to go that way. I was going to be a business journalist, and I was going to work work at big business magazines like Forbes or Fortune. The problem was that none of them would hire me. When I left Working Woman, I was all over the place for a while. I went to cooking school, I did some freelance work, and I finally figured out that what I needed to get a job at the big business magazine, because I really hadn't given up on that dream, was to understand business, which even though I had written some stories about businesses, I didn't understand. So I went and I worked on Wall Street for a couple wow. of years. Yeah, in equity research, and I learned financial statements. I learned how to read an annual report and a balance sheet and talk to CEOs. and. Eventually, I did go back and start working at business magazines. One of them was Smart Money Magazine. I was there for the launch. We had a very aggressive PR effort. I ended up on television, and Bryant Gumble decided that he liked me, and I ended up on the Today Show for almost 25 years, which opened a lot of doors. 
So I love that story because what I hear you say is when you want something and you find the niche you're interested in, you have to go back and educate yourself. <clears throat> you have to go back and educate yourself and you have to figure out a way. You know what I didn't want? I didn't want $40,000 or $80,000 in student loan debt. That's what I didn't want. And I had been told by the chief of reporters at Forbes magazine to go get an MBA. I didn't want to do that. I, I just, I, I loved college, but I, I liked everything but my classes. And so it took me a while to figure it out, but I, I started thinking, how can I get the skills that he is telling me to get without paying for them, with be getting a paycheck at the same time. And I knew that as a writer, the research analysts on Wall Street might find me useful, right? I could, I could help them at the same time that they were helping me. And that turned out to be a really easy job to get. So when I hear these days from so many of my listeners who want to make a change in their career and they think, I have to go back to school. I have to, I have to go get another degree. It's going to cost $100,000, but I'm just going to do it. And I think, no, think about what skills you have and how you could apply them in a way that you could learn along the job because this student loan debt has just got to go. It's interesting because when I went to run the TV station, what I did is I hired a tutor to teach me the financial stuff. So you're right, there are ways around this. Yeah. Okay, then then you end up on the Today Show and Brian Gumbel likes you. And let's talk about that because the other thing that happens is you work and work and work just to end up in a place sometimes, right place, right time, and the stars align. The stars align, but you have to work really hard to make the stars align. So. I was at this startup magazine and different people were getting a shot to go on television and talk about their stories. And I remember asking for my shot, asking the PR guy, when are you going to put me on TV? I can do this. I knew I had done some college theater. I had done high school theater. I, I knew I could do this. Nobody else knew I could do it, but, but I, I believed that this was going to be a good fit for me. And so when I got the opportunity to do it, I studied like it was a final exam. I remember taking out, because the job of somebody, as you know, who is going on television is generally you have three minutes to make a lot of information incredibly clear. So I took this eight page story from Smart Money Magazine and boiled it down by writing it longhand on a legal pad. These are the questions that he might ask me. These are, and it might have been him, it might have been Katie, yeah, I didn't know going in. These are the questions that I might be asked. This is what I want to say. This is how I take what I want to say and shrink it so I can say it in 30 seconds. And practiced and practiced and practiced. But that's what it takes. You have to, you have to just really put the work in. And I did that, I did that for years. I still put the work in because you got to know the answers to the questions. Yeah. And so it's not being handed to you is what you're saying. No, no, <clears throat> it, it, it's, it's not handed to you. And then at the same time that, you know, you really want it, it's probably really scary. I got physically ill for about two years on the Today Show, not on the Today Show, thankfully. Um, but I would, I would get into the studio, my stomach would give, and I would, you know, that for two years. And, and it took a while, but I just, you, you work your way through it and, and you get there eventually, if it's something that you want. I also think people think that once you're on the Today Show, you're sat 
and it's and they don't realize that you have to have other work too you do where i was very lucky with the today show is that it opened a lot of doors for me it opened a lot of other doors and the the, the other thing that i think i did right was to just make some sort of agreement with myself that i was going to say yes so when i got a call from somebody who asked did i want to write a book i had really never thought about writing a book but i just said okay i'll i'll write a book and somebody asked me to give a speech i'd never given a speech but i thought okay i'll i'll give it the money was good i thought all right i'll i'll give a speech and you say yes and you figure out which things work for you but if you say no then you're never going to have those experiences and you're never going to see what might have been so let's talk about your book okay because that book was very powerful in in that moment T- right place right time too timing so let's talk about it the first book was called the rich and famous money book and it was a series of interviews because i didn't know how to write a book but i knew how to write a story it was a series of stories of interviews with famous people talking about their various financial skills so i had a chapter on real estate investors and i had a chapter on collectors and i had a chapter on people who were good in the stock market and it was amazing to me how I asked for these interviews and I got them. I mean that was the amazing thing that that you can ask people for things and they will say yes. Wow. And so what happened after after that you're on the Today show, you write your first book and then what happens? I had two kids. <laughs> That's important. <laughs> I um I sort of continued down that path for a long time. I moved from Smart Money magazine to Money magazine. I worked my way up editorially. I stayed with the Today show when I moved magazines, the Today show came with me. I gave more speeches, I wrote more books, and then when I was about 40 years old my world fell apart a little bit. My dad passed away and I got divorced at the same time and I had two kids. One was a teenager and and one was not quite a teenager and it was not something I ever expected. I I I didn't know people who got divorced. My my parents had a very long and loving marriage and I think it was realizing that I didn't have what they had that made me leave my marriage. And it was a very difficult time and difficult financially too. I I I had started to make more money because of all these opportunities mm-hmm. that had come my way. But my financial life was set up in a way that although I was a really good earner, I wasn't as involved as I should have been in managing it. And when I got divorced, I dug in and set up accounts for my various goals and started saving like a crazy person because I knew that I was going to be paying for half of college on my own and buying a house on my own and it was a really tough couple of years. And it was very eye-opening to me in your book. You speak about how you lost a job. Well, I did. I lost my job at Money Magazine. And that that was a, mo- a crucial moment in your life. It was huge because I had been employed. And I I got to tell you, I being employed is a really nice thing, right? You somebody takes Yeah, that's why we tell people don't just leave your job no. and start a business crazy. You you did all this in steps. Again, I feel like you and I have a connection because we're both turtles. Yeah. We're very methodical, slow. It's been sometimes slow is really really good, but I got fired. Um Money Magazine had decided that 
they were going through a, a round of consolidations. There was a new editor. I, um, I got fired. And I looked for a little while for another job to replace my well-paying salaried job with all of its fabulous benefits and couldn't find one. And decided that because I had been dabbling in other things, writing the books, working for NBC, giving the speeches, I was just gonna try to do more of that. So I started a company. I, I remember sitting on the phone in my house and my accountant said, you call this number and they will start a company for you. And I'm on the phone and, and the guy on the other end of said, what's the name of this company? And I, I didn't know, I had no name for this company. So I, I pulled my children's two middle names out of a hat and called the company Samuel Bennett because that's their middle names. And years later, uh, we, we came up with this cockamamie story about how Samuel Bennett was actually a famous patriot from around the time of Benjamin Franklin, you know, a real leader in the financial world. And that's why we called it Samuel Bennett. But it was just, you know, this is what you do. You start right. a company. And then I went out and I got clients. And I did what I always did. I mean, what I am at heart is a developer of content. I develop content that helps people manage their money better, that helps them make sense of their finances. Turns out a lot of people need that. Companies need it for their employees, so I do some of that. Organizations need it because they want to bring their people around. Financial services companies need it, and people need it. And so now I, I have this company and we create content across the board. But I loved reading in your book that you said there were times when you started the business. You know, not everybody's born an entrepreneur. No. And you were like, oh my God, if a job shows up, I'm leaving this. Uh, yeah, because I never wanted to be the person who's in charge of other people's livelihoods. I think that's really, it, there's a lot of trust when you are the one who's providing their paycheck and their health insurance and their 401k. And it means that you have to continually go out and hustle for the work because you have to continually be able to pay them. That's, that's a lot. It's a lot. That's a lot. And that's why it's not for everybody. Sometimes for people, uh, an entrepreneurial life is more of a side hustle. Right. Hold on. Moneymaker will be right back. Let's get back to the show. I wanted to talk to you about the part of the book that really got into the psychology and the emotional part of money because it is very painful. I'll tell you, it really triggered me in a way because I realized that for me as an immigrant, you know, you say in the book, what is your story around yeah. money? And how did your parents deal with money? And I realized my parents left communist Cuba from one day to the next with the shirt on their backs and had to leave everything behind. So for me, money, I realized reading your book is related to post-traumatic stress syndrome. And so you made me think, if that's your story, what does that mean for the rest of your life? Maybe that's why I'm so good at making money. I, it is why you're so good at making money. And it's probably why, and I don't know this about you, but it's probably why you have a hard time spending money. Do you have a hard I time spending money? I have a hard money? time. Yeah, because you were raised in an environment where there wasn't enough. And even though you've got more than enough, it's really, really hard to let go of that. It's hard to imagine that there will ever truly 
be enough. And I, I, I don't have a background like yours, but I have a little bit of that. I grew up in a family where, until my dad started running the television stations, college professors don't make a lot of money. My mom stayed home some years. I mean, there, there was a, a rotating array of dinners on the table that were pretty you know, frugal. My mother was, was frugal. And you tend to have one of two reactions to that kind of an upbringing. Either you can't spend or you spend a lot. That's right. And we need to understand where we came from. We need to understand that these are not things that people told us because that's not how money lessons are conveyed. These are things that we saw, that we witnessed in our family of origin, that we took in, that are just so much a part of our fabric that until we go back and think about what was life like then, we don't know why we are the way we are, and that makes it really, really difficult to move past it and, and create the future that you want. Well, and in the book you talk, which I also thought was very powerful, about your relationships. Yeah. And that you choose people sometimes that, you know, you're, you said there's another person in the bed with you, which is the baggage. Right. Right? Well, you've got that person's baggage right? So it's not just that you've got this person in your bed. Your story has this person's story in their bed. And if neither of you understand what is driving you to be emotional about money in the way that you are emotional about money, that's where you get the clash. That's where you get the fireworks. And to make it worse, we tend to gravitate to people who are different, who have something that we think is lacking in us. And that may be, if you're a, a saver, if you hold on to money so tight, you want to be with somebody who's more free. And hopefully you both bring each other to the middle, but sometimes it ends up just tearing the relationship apart. We know that's true because most marriages end over money. Right. Well, it's not... <clears throat> It's not necessarily the dollars in the sense, right? right? When we talk about money, we're talking about power. We're talking about freedom. We're talking about independence. We're talking about self-worth and value. And so, yes, when we ask people what they fight about and when those fights lead to divorce, money is always at the top of the list, but I think there are a lot of other factors in the soup. But you also say in the book, you can change this whole story. You can. So let's talk about it, because you really go into it deeply. Well, in order to change it, you have to understand it. And so in the book, I've got a series of questions that people go through where you, you ask, what was money like when you were seven, eight, nine years old? What, what, did, it, what did it feel like? In, in your household? How did your mother handle money? How did your father handle money? When money was the topic of conversation, were people happy or were they totally stressed out? You have to give yourself the ability, and, and you can't often get it done on the first try. You have to give yourself the ability to think about it and then think about it again in a couple of days and think about it again in a couple of days until you, you understand it enough to then think about, okay, well, if every time the bills came in the mail, when I was a child, they were buried, or my mother got angry, or this was when they started arguing, then you know why when the bills come now, you feel anxious inside. You never really, maybe there's plenty of money, but you still feel anxious inside. And, and 
you have to understand those things about yourself if you're going to live successfully with another person. So you, you speak in the book about how the bottom line is we really don't talk about money. It's like t- as much as we, we could even watch it on TV in a money segment, in intimacy, in our families, right. in relationship, in friendships, we don't talk about money. It's still like something that's taboo. Why do we feel that way? Because we were raised that way because we weren't raised in families, most of us, where money was okay to talk about. It was taboo, and that's a really hard habit to break. It's just one of those things that if you do it, it will become easier. And so you may find you have to schedule it. You may find you have to just write down, okay, I am going to have this conversation with my husband on four o'clock Saturday afternoon. Well, isn't it really a conversation you have to have with your boyfriend before he becomes your husband? Yes. In the best of all possible worlds, you have it with your boyfriend before he comes, he becomes your husband. And you don't just have it once. You have it all the time. You have it when you're talking about planning the fun things like your vacation, but you also have it when you're talking about planning for the future and what do you want in your life? I mean, that's the romance, right? What do we want in our life? That's the romantic part about money. Once we get through the dreaming, then we can figure out the numbers. But I thought that was a very interesting part of your book too, because you say in the book, before you do anything, you have to know what you want and you have to actually go. You have to visualize yourself, which I talk about in my book as well, so that we can then reverse engineer how we're investing, how we're saving, and everybody's kind of on the same page, even though it change, it could change. That's exactly right, because if you don't know where you're trying to go, you're gonna be in the same place five years from now, and then you're gonna be unhappy. Because when I talk to people about what they wish they could get back, it's always time, right? We always wish we had started younger. We always wished we, we had gotten with the program earlier and set some goals because until you have goals you can't go anywhere you can't really achieve anything because it's not necessarily about setting a goal and hitting that particular goal it's the making progress toward the goal that makes us feel really good and really happy and really accomplished it's it's knowing that we're we're on a course that we set out and we're doing it we're in the middle, we've had a year of Me Too, Time's yep. Up. And in a way, those things have garnered a lot of publicity and attention. They're very dramatic things. You and I both speak to women particularly about the importance of being self-reliant and self-made economically. Yeah. It's not as sexy, but why is it urgent? And why is being economically empowered and self-reliant the most important thing for a woman to accomplish? In the short term, it's urgent now because only if you are financially self-reliant can you get out of a bad whatever. You can't get out of a bad relationship if you don't have the money to do it. We've heard stories. You can't leave a job that's not satisfying if you don't have a financial cushion under you. Long term, it's urgent because all the men are going to die. And, and I'm being a little facetious, but we have incredible longevity on our side as women. And because we earn less than men do, and because we are still the ones who take breaks from work to take care of our kids and take care of our older parents, when we get to the end of our careers, we've got less saved. 
and we have to take that and make it last longer. And so the sooner you build that foundation where you are saving every single time you get paid and investing that money so that it is working while you sleep, the better off you're gonna be. So it's very important that we do the math, because math doesn't lie, about all the possible ages you're gonna live to. Yes. And see how much, I mean, I laugh when, when I say to women, you all have to be millionaires to retire. You, because you all have to plan on living to 100, if not more. A hundred. I'm getting scared. <laughs> no, don't get, because look, will we all live to a hundred? No, but it's so much better to plan on living to that old age and knowing that you've got enough to last you to that old age than planning to live to 75 and going right past it. Wow. So one last advice for all of us in this journey that you think is the most important thing? I mean, I know you said that money is contentment, and I thought that was very powerful. Knowing that you have enough to take care of the people that you love, to feel safe and secure, and to create the change that you want in the world is a really nice way to be able to go through life. Moneymaker is a production of Money News Network. Moneymaker is written and hosted by me, Nelly Galan. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. Thanks for listening. See you next time.